Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am replaying an interview that I had with Shane Barker on his podcast. He has a podcast called the Marketing Growth Podcast, and I was a guest on there, of course, discussing outsourcing and the opportunities of outsourcing for businesses across the globe. Uh, It was a good conversation. I enjoyed my conversation with Shane, and I think it just gives you a little bit of insight into the work that I'm doing to help promote outsourcing to businesses across the world. And of course, some insights into my passions and my current thoughts and feelings on outsourcing and where it's going. So uh, hopefully you will enjoy this episode. This episode was actually split into three on Shane's podcast network, uh, and I've actually compacted that into one episode, so you might hear some transitions there. And of course, I encourage all of you to go and check out Shane's podcast, which is called the Marketing Growth Podcast. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, I have with me Derek Gallimore, the CEO and founder of Outsource Accelerator, the world's top BPO marketplace advisory and operator. He helps businesses build, maintain, and operate offshore teams. His company serves as a condo between the Philippines and the high-cost Western world. He firmly believes in cost savings and the benefits of outsourcing and is passionate about spreading his message worldwide. Before becoming a vocal offshore advocate, Derek founded and bootstrapped two eight-figure businesses. On today's episode, we'll discuss how Derek conceptualized Outsource Accelerator and how outsourcing benefits global businesses. He's also going to forecast the future of outsourcing in this post-COVID era. All right, you guys. Hey, welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I have Derek Gallimore with me today. Hey, man, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Jane, thanks so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were excited. I, you know, we were kind of talking about this before we started the podcast, just about the industry of, of BPO and, and virtual assistants and, and all that. And we're going to jump into that a little later, but because um, I, I have a, a pretty big history or, or a long history of, of, of hiring people out of the country. And I know you are in the Philippines currently and have a phenomenal company out there um, by the name of Outsource um, Accelerator. So excited, excited about chatting with you today. But I, I always like to start off with kind of talking a little bit about yourself as the founder and kind of where you grew up. Um, people can't see you right now, but I'm judging from the way that you look. I don't think you're from the Philippines. And that, that might be, I might've judged a little early here. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Um, you're you're accurate. You, you're correct. I'm accurate. Okay. With a little bit of an accent too, which I, I have an accent myself, but so where did, where did you grow up at? Yeah. I, uh, looking back, it's been a little bit of a mixed upbringing. I was born in the UK, but then raised in New Zealand. Uh, and then from about 18, I was kind of uh, on my own and went to Australia and uh, Central America and uh, the UK. And now I'm based in the Philippines. So most of my upbringing was in New Zealand, uh, but I didn't really associate so much with that that country. Yeah, I was going to say the Kiwis. I've never been to New Zealand, but I've heard nothing but good things about the country. I mean, it's, it's like- a beautiful place. It's a really beautiful place. It's, you know, super open, green clean, healthy. But uh, to be honest, 
you know, I needed a, a bit more grit and concrete and cities and uh, pollution. You know, that really <laughs> stimulated me in the in the younger period. A, a little side of pollution is, is always warranted. I mean, that's always nice. So that's that's good. So at least you found a little bit of pollution in the Philippines and phenomenal people out there. So it's exciting. So so how big was your, your family growing up? Like, give us a little background there. Just, uh, we have only ever been a nuclear family. My, my brother and I and mum and dad and, you know, their family kind of spread across uh, the UK and Canada and pr- prior to sort of easy communications, people lost touch a bit. So we didn't, we never had that extended family. It was just, mm. just the four of us. Gotcha. You know, it's, it's so funny. I have friends of mine that have these like crazy, like family reunions where there's like, you know, hundreds of people and my family's connected, but not that connected. Right. I mean, you know, I see my mom quite often and my dad and, but we don't, you know, there's never been like big, huge family reunions of hundreds of people. It's, it's, which is kind of unfortunate. I mean, there's, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess there's good things and bad things when it comes to that, but um, I do kind of miss that. I would always, it was always something I was very jealous of, like these big family reunions always look like a lot of fun, probably too much fun. Actually, the people, my friends that I hung out with looks like they had a little bit too much fun. Yeah. And it's very different. You know, I come from a very Western, if you like, culture where you sort of grow up, you leave home at 18 and I'm living in the Philippines now, which is kind of a, you know, heavy, heavy family focused culture, very Catholic, huge families, lunches every Sunday. It's a massive contrast to the West. And, you know, I think the US in particular, where you're kind of on your own and you leave the nest. And um, I come back to, you know, and also South America and Central America, very family centric. And I think there's a lot of lot of benefits to that. Yeah, it's funny. So the, the the friends that I was talking about are didn't really reference they're Hispanic. And so that was their families, once again, big, huge families, Catholic. Hey, Sunday was this day. And it, when anybody had like a quinceanera or had something like that, everybody's getting together and everybody's hanging out and they're going to have a good time. So, yeah, I, I look at that and go, man, that looks awesome. Of course, I was able to sneak in there obviously not Mexican or Hispanic myself, but I was able to get in there and move and shake, get some tacos and, and have some good stuff happening. So, um, well, cool. So tell us, and, and so right now, give us an interesting fact, any interesting facts growing up? Oh my gosh. Uh, I was, when I was very, very young, when I was about 18, the national bodybuilding champion, you, you took me by surprise there actually, but, uh, um, I've, I've moved on, definitely moved on since then. But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting period of my life. Yeah. That- that is awesome. Congrats. Well, I'll tell you, man, I've seen some pictures of you. You're not doing too bad, my friend. It looks like you kept you kept some of the, the physique. I was looking, I was like, hey, you know, it looks like Derek gets his workout on. He's still out there getting his hustle on. You might not be winning awards right now, but that's okay. You're still looking good, but I want to let you know. Uh, you're too kind, Shane. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in the whole sort of podcast world, and it seems that every podcaster is into uh, biohacking and keto and all this. So uh, I, I do my fair share of that as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's, that's always a, a tricky thing. I tell you, I've tried to do the, the keto thing. Um, I've done a lot of different things and we, that's a whole nother probably podcast where we could talk about the different things that we've done, but you look like you're doing good, I guess is what I'm saying. Keep up the good work out there. Um, and so you're in the Philippines. Where are the Philippines? Uh, in Manila, which is the, you know, it's kind of like the New York city of the Philippines. It's a massive city of about 20 million people, give or take uh, huge city, high density, uh, and super hot. Yeah. Super hot. Yeah. There we go. That's, that's the thing. It's probably a little different than, uh, than, well, actually if you were in the UK, so UK, well, I guess UK can fluctuate, right? I mean, it can get cold out there as well, but that's not happening in the Manila, huh? I, look, I realized, uh, pretty early on that I needed warm weather. I, I could not deal with cold weather and also the short days that you get in like the UK. Uh, it really affects my, my mood. You know, and I think there is, like you, you can't really improve life if it's a sunny day, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's halfway there already. Yeah. No, that's, I, I hear you. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a hard deal. I mean, I, I am, you know, we, I live in Sacramento, so the weather is pretty, you know, pretty good. I mean, we, you know, fluctuate by 20, 30 degrees, I would say for the most part, let me take that back. Sometimes in winter, it can be a little colder, but California cold, which is not, you know, anybody else I would tell the degrees and they're like, really, or the, the you know, Celsius, but I, I, I am not like a big, like I like snow, but I like to leave. Like, I don't want to like, my wife's like, Hey, would you want to move to this mountainous area? And I'm like, that sounds awesome until it snows. And then you have to spend three hours, like getting out of your front yard or you're with your car. And I'm like, right now I could just put it in drive and go. Like, it's very easy. Like I wouldn't have to spend that. So I couldn't, you know, being in cold, cold weather for a long period of time would not for a week or something. Awesome. Let's do it. But somebody would have to, I don't know, it's just not for me either. I'm, I'm more of a, a warmer, I mean, obviously I'm in California, so I like a little bit of the warmer weather. 
Yeah, we're, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Go for it. Oh, I was going to say, so where did you go to college? Yeah, so I uh, did my first degree, just a basic business degree in uh, New Zealand where I grew up. Um, but I was fortunate to, I skipped a year of high school and I was really determined to to kind of get out of there, you know, spread my wings. Um, so I actually graduated my three-year degree at about 19 years of age, um, which, you know, gave me a pretty good step up in life because I had that basic degree. And, but then I was, I was kind of out working and learning life um, by a pretty young age. And then in London, I, I did a master's. I did a um, management business uh, master's. Um, but, you know, I, I find that I've had most of my life learning by, by living life, by doing things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's kind of the same. I, um, I, you know, got a degree, but like when I got my degree, I'm even going to tell you when it was, it was many moons ago. I, I always joke around like, this is Shane 3.0 and that was like Shane 1.0. So this is, this was a little while ago, but the, the funny part about it is that like, I didn't, I don't apply. I mean, anything that I learned, things have changed so much. And I, I graduated with a marketing degree the internet wasn't really a thing, right? I mean, it was kind of at the beginning stages. And so anything that I've learned over the last, let's say 20 years has been really from doing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously doing, and then, you know, there's, there's other, you know, Udemy and there's other platforms out there that you can learn stuff. But I think it's been pretty interesting, but yeah, there's, unfortunately, I, I, hopefully my son doesn't listen to this podcast because he's going to be like, well, you told me I got to go to school. And I'm like, yeah, that's for you. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, that you're going to use what you're going to learn. That's not the point, you know? So it's kind of crazy. He's alive, Shane. I, I know. Alive. But I it is, you know, and I think it's getting worse because, or better, or however you look at it, but the redundancy of knowledge, you know, what, what used to be relevant for 10 or 20 or 50 years, a hundred years ago is now only relevant for a year and you've got to refresh all of your learning, your perspectives. Uh, and it's speeding up, isn't it? It's, it's, it it's is at, a, at an insane rate. You know I mean? I, we always joke around. I'm like, you know, now you kids can, you can Google and do all kinds of fun stuff. I'm like, back in the day, I was trying to think of like, when I started my first business, like, what did I do? Like, how did I like, cause now it's like, you just Google and you, you get research and you do this and it's like, it's kind of all right there. Um, and I'm like, what, how did I start? And I was trying to remember, that's how, that's how old I am. I'm like, I can't even remember the business that I started or how I started it, but it's just a weird concept of like, like what happened before Google or before the internet? Like, how did we, how did we do things? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, before it's, digital, it was a mystery, you know? And I, I, I kind of, I just got in at the right time, I suppose, but a generation prior, you know, they had no email and it was a few faxes and phone calls and writing letters. Like, how do you do business? With that, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to Google how to write a letter and what a fax machine is. I've heard of those. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to figure that out. I, I, I've heard those terms. No, I'm just kidding. No, for anybody, if you, no, you know, actually, we, I've got a friend here, uh, another expat in the Philippines, and he makes a, he has a fax online company where you can send a fax, you know, you upload a PDF and send a fax. Ah. He makes a mozza. So there's, it, it's crazy. It's just, uh, it prints money and Huge amounts of money. So there's obviously people out there still sending faxes to someone. Is, Maybe everyone's is, sending them to Warren Buffett. I think he's still he's gets probably the, faxes, the, the guy. He? Yeah, he's probably he probably checks it too himself. That guy's something else. Yeah. I remember seeing a video about him that was like kind of the thing. And he jumped in the car to interview him, and there he's like, "Oh yes, I drive my Cadillac." And they're like, "What year is this?" And he's like, "Oh, 2011." Like, okay, I mean, you got a few billion. I mean, you could get a new car. And he's like, "No, I like this one. This is you know, just very modest. Probably does do faxes and probably." You know, once again, probably the guy that answers them too. So shout out to Warren Buffett if Warren listens to the show. Um, so uh, what was your first job? What was your first job out of college, man? Uh, actually, you know, I've always been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. And as I previously mentioned, I was a little bit into bodybuilding. So I was super excited for my first job at about 16 years of age to become a trainer at the gym. Mm. Uh, I think I was about 17 and it was Les Mills, which is actually a pretty well-recognized international brand, especially for all their, their pump and fitness classes and stuff like that. So I, I loved it. I was in heaven. Um, I started as a paid trainer, just hanging around the gym, loving it. And then I moved into being a personal trainer at about 17 years of age, um, which taught me a lot about you know marketing yourself, promoting yourself, running a business, yeah. having to do accounts and having to make things balance at the end of the day yeah the psychology of people too i know that's you know super yeah, yeah right and also leverage i learned as a personal trainer it's super hard to 
uh, it's super hard to um, leverage your time, you know, because you're getting a fairly high hourly rate, but you can only do the hours you can do in a week, you know? So um, yeah. I, I learned about leverage there. Yeah. You're all, always hustling, right? I mean, it's always the deal. I mean, it's the same thing. I think there's a lot of industries where it's that way, where it's like, you know, you make a good hourly, but how many hours are you working a week and what do you, you know, how can you be able to, to get more of those clients in at that hourly rate? Um, so, and that's awesome. So you being a, I mean, you being a trainer, that makes total sense. You're like, you're, you gotta be kidding me. This is like the perfect job for me. I got to hang out. I get a workout and they're paying me to do it. Like, Hey, life couldn't get better. Ah, it's great. Yeah. That's at the awesome. time. I'm glad I yeah. moved on, but at the time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. So how did you come up with the idea of um, outsource accelerator? Like what, like kind of tell us that journey. I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. So, I mean, just without going too deep into outsourcing, outsourcing by definition, though, is uh, the suppliers are in one country, you know, typically the Philippines, uh, maybe India, maybe Eastern Europe, and the clients are in another country many thousands of miles away. And uh, because of that huge gap, there's a cultural gap, there's um, opacity, ambiguity, it's really important that there is a proper marketplace in place to be the intermediary uh, or help you uh, browse and navigate the industry and also engage with the industry safely. You see a huge amount of marketplaces for literally everything now, you know, uh, obviously booking.com, uh, TripAdvisor, um, even Uber, uh, Amazon, uh, Alibaba. And I was shocked that there was not a proper marketplace representing the outsourcing industry now of course there are marketplaces there's like upwork freelancer that's for like the gig economy mm -hmm. um, but for the mid-scale for the professionalized services and that is a huge mature industry that's been going about 25 years there is no marketplace representing that and helping prospective clients browse the industry so um, look i i thought i'd make it um, the, the reason why I kind of stumbled across this is because I, my prior business that I actually bootstrapped up to about a $20 million revenue business, um, uh, that was in service departments or corporate housing, as you call it in the US, that was mm -hmm. based in central London. Uh, and we were big users of the platforms like book.com and Airbnb uh, you know, and Agoda. And of course, we saw the importance uh, the utility and value of those platforms. Uh, and, you know, to such a degree that now, you know, you, Shane, if you're looking for a hotel, you would never think of Googling individual hotel websites. You would only ever go to go to a marketplace, you know, and if you're booking a flight, you would typically go to a marketplace. So, so that's what we're doing for the outsourcing industry. I love it. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that was funny. We, and we talked a little bit off before we started the podcast about that and kind of like, but that's genius, right? Because there's obviously a lot of companies that are, that do outsourcing, obviously in the Philippines, but then actually to have that directory of saying, Hey, here goes, you know, and also the education, because you talked about culturally and there's other things that play into that, that I think are really important. You know, when you're hiring somebody internationally, there's, you know, not everybody fits under this. And I, I think this happens a lot of times with Americans is, and I know that because I work with a lot of Americans is they, they want it to be this way because it's American. And I'm like, well, but there's other people's cultures, there's traditions, and there's other things you have to look at. And you have to be sensitive to those types of things because it's important. You don't want to, I, you know, my big thing is I don't ever want to come out as the ugly American. Right. And I, and I try to educate other people to think the same way. It's like, listen, these are people that are, that are helping you that can help your business, but we treat them just like everybody else. There's not, you know, we're not treating them just because it might be not as expensive as it is in the U.S. That doesn't mean they're not amazing people and not doing amazing things. So um, I think it's always kind of important. You know, you got to treat everybody like they're humans and, and if they're helping your business and we treat them like gold as we should. Um, so what are some of the, I mean, I know the benefits of, of outsourcing because I, I do it myself, but what are some of the benefits in your mind for, for businesses to outsource? Yeah, look, Shane, hands down, and this is such a super important message for anyone either starting a business, in business, small business, big business, it is without doubt the most powerful business tool out there. If you are in business uh, and not uh, using offshore staff, then you are missing out. You know? And simply, you can basically access abundant, high-caliber, quality employees for about a 70% discount. So it introduces an incredible competitive advantage to your business. 
Uh, and you know, you everyone has limited resources. So if you can basically triple up on your resources, triple up on your manpower, uh, and you know, high caliber employees, then you, you're off to the races. And it is just such a life-changing, business-changing transition once you make it. So um, you know, that's the main message. It is it is so so powerful, Shane. Yeah, and the thing is, is and you know, once again, I'm not being paid to say this. I I started using virtual assistants probably I don't know how long ago. Um, actually, I started using Freelancer when it was called Get a Freelancer. So that's when I started, you know, and looking around and finding these virtual assistants. Um, and I'll tell you firsthand that it's I found some absolutely amazing people. Um, the biggest thing that I learned, and we talked about this a little bit once again before the podcast, but is about understanding um, exactly what you want them to do. And then don't expect for them to be superhuman. Like, Hey, if you have somebody that does your email marketing, don't expect for them probably to do your videos and do your accounting and also to, you know, do some other things. So it's like, be very specific in the job that you're hiring for and you can find some, once again, some phenomenal talent. So I want to kind of get your opinion on on how outsourcing has changed the world. Um, Once again, for me and my business, it's been an absolute staple in my business. But I want to hear it from you on, on what do you think, how do you think it's changed the business world out there? Yeah, look, I, uh, look, if you zoom out, the bigger trend is towards absolute globalization. And, you know, it was only 20 years ago, you know, we talk about the old days, but it was only 20 years ago where you, oh, there is Amazon, there's Alibaba, and you get anything from, you know, around the world. And, you know, before, if you wanted to engage with Chinese manufacturers, it was a nightmare, you know, and you'd get ripped off and you'd have to fly over there. Now with Alibaba, you know, you can get a 14 year old boy watching an episode of Shark Tank. He comes up with an idea, he can reach out and he can create a skateboard prototype overnight and have it delivered. This is incredible globalization and it is happening because of um, technology, like the, the, enablement of technology and the infrastructure, and then just the trend towards the, it becoming a smaller world uh, and everything, just the, the sort of common adoption of remote. And what you realize is when you look at things on a global scale, you know, even New York, well, you know, it's a great city. You, you find some great employees there, but there's only 10 million people there. There's 8 billion people in the world, you know, and many of them earn about 90% less than you do. And it is not about finding, you know, a cheap kind of assistant to help you with a bit of stuff. There are leading graduates from Ivy League schools across the world that have incredible skills and capacity and can work shoulder to shoulder with you remotely um, and produce incredible stuff for incredible savings. So, you know, when you think about stuff globally, uh, it is it is a you get to save money, but b you get to build out your business, your dreams, your operations. Um, and also you get to access staff that you might not be able to access in your local market. You know, We actually deal with a lot of clients and they're looking for staff in their own market uh, and, and they just can't find them. You know, If you need a specific mm-hmm. developer or um, high-skilled job, then like, welcome to the global market. There's 8 billion people there. And because of the technology, because now everyone is super remote and embracing of remote, um, all of the workflows are sort of online and in cloud, uh, then those 8 billion people are at your doorstep. And, you know, it's, it's a shocking truth. It's unfortunate. But many, many people, you know, there's one or two billion people in the world that earn less than a few dollars a day. Um, you know, and but there's also an opportunity in there to better the world, better the lives for everyone. Um, and there's this new great reset and rebalancing of the world. And there is just a huge opportunity to to at least just explore building your workforce on a global scale. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? I mean, the thing is, the internet has opened it up so you can sell all over the place and you can also tap into talent from all over the world. Um, for sure. At, at, at discount prices, but once again, that doesn't mean that they're not amazing people doing amazing things. And I think that's the that's kind of the point. So tell me about so how have you seen the the outsource like the landscape change because of COVID? Because of COVID, I'm sure that's. I mean, you know, I know here in the United States, or at least in California, I mean, remotely we have Google and Facebook and Twitter, and everybody's like, hey, we can all do remote. 
obviously I'm sure you guys are, you've seen a lot of the same thing. How has that impacted um, outsourcing? Yeah, look, the common trope is that outsource, uh, sorry, that COVID has advanced everything by 10 years in about one year. Uh, and that's absolutely the case for uh, offshore staffing. Uh, and, you know, offshore staffing is really a, a cousin. I, I sort of know the remote community very well. It's kind of like a distant cousin of the remote world. And the reality is that once you free yourself from sort of physical connections with people, uh, and, you know, I, we've now moved on into a kind of paperless uh, workflow, and most people's work is now completely in the cloud. And so people are realizing that, you know, remote is what it is. It has its pros and cons, but again, there's just, you can sort of embrace the advantages uh, and then work around the disadvantages. And still, you know, I still recommend that in the Philippines, people get people in an office because, you know, there's, there's better community, there's better organizational momentum, um, there's better accountability. There's also better motivation. The kind of people that you want are the driven professionals that are looking for a career ladder, you know, and you find those people in the city centers. Uh, and, um, but basically plugging into them is now so, so easy uh, because everything is remote. Everything is done from online project management. We are talking over Zoom. Uh, everyone uses email and chat, Slack. It's all there and yeah, just so, so easy. So COVID has pushed that along. Um, and actually, you know, outsourcing is a counter cyclical industry where it generally does better when the rest of the world is in a recession because the rest of the world goes, hey, you know, I've kind of heard of this outsourcing. I don't really want to make changes. Um, I've heard some disappointing stories. Um, so I won't try it. But now, when everyone's looking at the, you know, the bottom line, revenues are dropping, they need to cut costs, they give it a go. And it is life changing for those businesses. Yeah, absolutely agreed, man. I think it's if you, if you haven't looked into it, at least on a certain scale, you know, it doesn't have to be your whole work staff, but at least give it a try. And the other thing too, is like, just like no different than hiring anybody. It's you're, maybe the first person you hire isn't the best person, right? And maybe it takes a little bit of time, but that's in anything that you do. I think that's one of the things I've, I've been able to do better is the process of, of hiring somebody and really better to qualify them better. Um, and I think that's been a learning lesson just from hiring a lot of people and you know, maybe me not being ready on my side. A lot of the times it wasn't the talent that I hired. It was the fact that I wasn't ready on my side with the processes and, and evaluation of what I really need them to do and how they need to do it, expecting for them to understand what's in my head. And that's been a, a big turning point for my business is understanding, hey, like I need to, you know, not everybody just thinks like I do and not everybody can read into my imagination. In fact, I don't think anybody can last time I checked. So it's important to have those processes and, and talk about that and, and how you can, you know, can outsource and, and make it uh, be valuable for both sides. What do you think? And we talk about outsourcing. I mean, who do you think outsourcing is best for when it comes to businesses? I mean, is there any businesses that it's I mean, I, my instant opinion is like, I feel like it's great for everybody, but do you have like, is there any kind of companies that outsourcing is best suited for? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's it's 99% of businesses across 99% of sectors. And generally, you know, even if you're a plumber, even if you are garden or landscaper, you know, you're like, how do we outsource any jobs? We need physical presence. That is true. In those uh, industries, for example, you can still get all of your sales, your marketing, your customer support, uh, um, you know, logistics, uh, all of the back-end accounting. Basically now, almost every job in almost any business can be offshored. Uh, and you know, basically an easy way to think about it is if you are doing your work in front of a computer, uh, then that can be done from any location around the world. Uh, you know, if, if you're a plumber or a builder, you've got to go on site and do that, but then separate out those tasks that aren't on site and then look at exploring those tasks specifically for offshore locations. 
Yeah, it's funny. So I, I do a lot of work for a lot of consulting um, for the Small Business Administration for because of the with COVID and everything. I jumped on with them to to help out and help businesses. I kind of felt like I had a kind of a civic duty to to help out if I have knowledge that I can help businesses maybe pivot or do another revenue stream. And it's funny when I talk to businesses, the first thing that I talk about is automating or outsourcing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what can you do? Like, let's take a look at your list, make your list of the 10, 20, 30, a thousand things you do on a daily basis. And what can you outsource or automate, right? And like, obviously me doing this podcast interview, I'm not going to be able to outsource this because I have to be here, but that doesn't mean the communication and everything else that happened up until this point isn't outsourced because it is. Um, and that's what I think the value of it is, is like, you know, you think about this stuff and also the stuff that you enjoy doing. If you enjoy doing your accounting, great. And that's, you want to have a glass of wine and do your accounting. Awesome. Then I want to take that away from you. If you go, oh my God, I hate accounting. I haven't invoiced anybody in two months. That can be outsourced. There's somebody out there that's going to love doing accounting work that does accounting work and everything can be outsourced. And so that's what I always tell people is like, you know, if you need more time, if you're looking to scale your business, that's how you're going to be able to do it. We talk, we have about 500 inbound inquiries a month. Uh, and we talk to a lot of businesses and, you know, they're, they, they've kind of heard of this outsourcing thing, but they're not sure how it works. And I just sort of try and bring it back a little bit. And, and generally, I say, look, outsourcing, think of it really just as employment. It's no different. Uh, employment in the US or wherever you're sitting. Um, and the way you build efficient processes, efficient structures, building departments, building responsibilities, OKRs, KPIs, all of these things, uh, and making your business more efficient, all of that still applies. And then also, you know, whether you get junior people in, whether you get senior people in, whether you get um, execs in, part-timers, uh, students, interns, all of that can still apply offshore. Uh, so it's really just the only differentiator, the only differentiator is that they're sitting in a different location. Uh, and because of that different location, there's some, you know, different communication and cultural things to be aware of. But otherwise, the the basic premise is really just you know how do you build your business efficiently how do you scale your business um, and a lot of these things apply across the board yeah agreed so what would you say I mean obviously since you guys have that many inquiries and that many people coming you've been doing this for so long um, what are some of the biggest challenges that companies face when when they're outsourcing their work yeah look there is. I won't beat around the bush. So many people are so, so disappointed by offshore staffing. And, you know, there's that common trope, again, that people, um, you know, they've phoned call centers and they get a strange accent and they were useless, you know. And so there's a, there's a big hangover and a real negative kind of pretense about offshore staffing. And, you know, Tim Ferriss has done a great job as well of popularizing VAs. Um, And again, this is all just, it's almost like, you know, in the US, you have Wall Street. What you associate with Wall Street is very different to, you know, the college student that's looking for a part-time job in the pub. And if you're looking for a part-time student working in a pub, um, they're not so reliable. um, They're not so qualified. You know, they're not so great. Um, They can be, uh, but... You know, and and it's about just coaching people to set expectations properly. Also, people come to the Philippines and, you know, saving 70% is not good enough. Why not save 90%? Why do we pay people $5 an hour when we can possibly pay $2 an hour? Why don't we try and push it down to $1.50? You know, I, I sort of try and take people back and say, look, um, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the Philippines um, and education levels are not the same as the US. Um, You know, just general capabilities are not the same as the US. So you need to sort of aim middle or above of uh, education standards, capability standards, experience standards, you will still save 70% and be comfortable with that. Don't push for the extremes, because then, you know, I can get you illiterate farmers uh, for a dollar a day, but that is no good, you know. Um, so get great people on board, uh, use professional services, uh, and you will get incredible experience, um, very reliable, very scalable people that can turn into teams and do incredible work. 
Yeah, I always tell people you get what you pay for, you know, and that's the thing for me is like, you know, it, it, you, you know, if you want to keep getting people for less and less and less money, then they start to feel unappreciative too. And that's just not a good way to, even once again, just because you can, you can get a discount doesn't mean you need to keep drilling them lower and lower and lower because that's just not the right way. You know, it's great that you can get the discount because of being in different, you know, global situations, but that doesn't mean that you should try to get them down to the, the bottom dollar, right? I mean, that doesn't, because they have their families too, and it's important to better understand that. So I, I love that. So what would, I'm trying to think about for companies, I mean, what can a company do to ensure that they're hiring or they're hiring, I guess, probably the right outsourced company, right? Because I know that's kind of one of the big things too, is like, how do I know that this is the right company to work with? Obviously, you guys have a lot on your website, they can go check out, but what what is your what would you say there? Yeah, absolutely. So so we list uh, about seven hundred and fifty uh, Philippine outsourcing suppliers on our website. Um, collectively, the industry employs about one point five million people, professionals. Uh, you know, this is like people that go into an office in a in a sort of glass tower. Um, super professional caliber people. There are about three and a half million. Uh, freelancers, uh, VAs, and stuff that, that work from home as well. So this is a big, big industry, and it's the single biggest industry in the Philippines. It contributes collectively uh, almost 15% of the GDP. Um, there are there is everything you know from the from the blue chip high caliber provider uh, right down to the home based moms and VAs. Uh, so it's really, you know, whatever you need for your organization, you can come to our site, you can get three free quotes, uh, and we can help you navigate the industry, of course. But the best solution is really just to, um, you know, be, be honest about what you need. If you're a startup, you know, if you're really tight on cash, then maybe a home-based VA is right for you. But if you're, if you're sort of more mid-market, you're a proper business, you need good, reliable professionals that can scale, uh, then really a mid-market provider is, is right for you. And these businesses have, you know, when you engage with these businesses, uh, they have, you know, combined 25 years of executive experience. Uh, the Philippines now has 25 years of process improvement experience. Um, this is an incredibly sophisticated industry and by choosing the right supplier, um, then you can tap into all of that sort of process optimization and executive talent just by hiring one staff with them. Um, so look around. The best thing you can do as well is reach out and have a phone call with a few of them and you will learn incredible amounts. You know, And hopefully if they're good uh, business development reps or people, um, they will give you a lot of insights into your business and how you can scale your business and how you can best build a team. So reach out, have some conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. 15% of their GDP. I did not know that. That's incredible. It's huge. It's huge. The whole, it's almost like oil for, you know, United Arab Emirates. It's, this is the industry powering the economy. Uh, and there's, it, it's an incredibly sophisticated industry uh, and an incredibly sophisticated, you know, most I'm sitting in a 51 story building. There's incredible sophistication uh, in the Philippines. Um, there are many, many staff, people in the Philippines that are Harvard graduates, Stanford graduates. Uh, and then also the Philippines has its own Ivy League colleges as well. Um, so whatever you want is all here. Uh, it's not just, you know, the basic kind of functions. Love that. So what I want to talk about a little bit is, is, and I think, so this will kind of bring it home to some people that are listening like, Hey, I'm really excited about this. I think there's an opportunity here. What are some, some of the big companies out there that have, that have leveraged, obviously outsourced um, some of their, whether it be staffing, anything, what that may be. Um, what are some big companies that you know of that have, that have, that have done that the correct way? Yeah, sure. So look, this is, this is where I come in. Um, you've got the top end of the market, the Fortune 500. Every single one of them offshore, every single one of them, maybe you know, 99% penetration. They have been doing it for 30 years and the rich get richer and the big get bigger. And it's because they have access to these tools. 20 years ago, these tools were not available to small and medium-sized businesses. And the reason for that is because of the technology, the infrastructure. You know, if you wanted to set up here, you would need to 
build, develop your own is bring the servers over, the hardware, you know, and it wouldn't make sense for less than a team of 500 staff. All of the Fortune 500 have been outsourcing for 25 years. Only in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, and with Tim Ferriss, you get the early adopters of outsourcing in the smaller part of the market. And that is, you know, the podcasters and the solopreneurs and the entrepreneurs, they have really embraced the whole VA thing, the Tim Ferriss model, um, and they are big adopters. But then you've got the middle market, which is, you know, US businesses, for example, that have between 50 and 500 or 1,000 staff. Um, and very few of those businesses are outsourcing, maybe 0.5% of those businesses. And we did a study um, and, you know, there are about 60 million of those businesses across the high cost English speaking world, 0.5 of them outsource and 0.5% of them outsource compared to 99% of the Fortune 500. And that is all going to change over the next 20 years. So who outsources? You know, everyone. We have over here, we have Google, we have Facebook, we have Amex, we have Citigroup. Um, any, any major logo you know uh, is sitting here with me in Manila. So, you know, um, 20 years ago, it was untouchable. It was inaccessible to small and medium-sized businesses. But now, again, with technology, with globalization, it is available. And it's just really getting um, the word out there, making people aware of this, and then getting them over that sort of fear, the sort of, the, the sort of uncertainty and fear of taking this first step. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. That's crazy. I didn't really understand that. I love the facts. You get all the facts behind that. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I knew all the big companies obviously were, were in the Philippines, definitely outsourcing, but it's crazy the, the that opportunity. It's probably obviously why you started the company, right? It's like seeing that opportunity of these businesses that aren't taking advantage of it. I mean, 0.05% is, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, that just shows the opportunity in the future. Do sure. Sure. I, you know, I think conservatively, there's there's 60 million jobs that are going to be offshored in, in the next 20 years, 60 million, which is worth about 600 billion. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to come to the all come to the Philippines. I, I hope that a lot of them will. But there's obviously Eastern Europe, there's India, and we're going to get a leveling. We're going to get a globalized workforce happening over the next uh, 10, 20 years. Earlier, I kind of touched on like automation and, and outsourcing. Right. And I think those well, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to ask your opinion on it because you're the professional here. So do you think automation and outsourcing are, are mutually exclusive? Do you think there's some synergies there? Uh, yeah, absolute synergies. You know, um, uh, there's there's a joke going around that, you know, like, why do you need a VA when you've got Alexa and Siri? And, you know, it's like our VAs use Alexa and Siri. So, you know, it, it the humans are controlling the machines. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I've read all the books, I've listened to all the podcasts about super AI, about singularity, about, um, you know, algorithms taking over the world. That is like focusing completely on a one in a thousand year meteor, you know, a meteor strike could happen, it could wipe out the planet. That is a reality. But in the meantime, we still get on with our businesses, we still do the day to day stuff. If uh, AI, automation, uh, RPA, all become so big that it wipes out significant numbers of jobs, then it will not just be an outsourcing issue. This is a global issue. You know, we know that automation is, is potentially taking away 4 million driving jobs in the US over the next few years. Um, they also estimate that it could take away about 10 to 15 million jobs in um, shop checkouts and stuff like that. Um, this is happening globally. Yet, you know, with all of this automation, you know, you, you go into car factories now and they used to employ tens of thousands of staff and there are robots doing those jobs. So this has been happening for decades. Uh, and yet, apart from COVID, we're still at record low unemployment levels. Uh, so, you know, the economy marches on, people find other things to do, you know, and uh, we... The world does not need baristas, you know, coffee makers. There can be a machine that does that. No problem. You know, we can fly rockets to Mars. You do not need baristas, but they're still in place because people still appreciate the human touch, the human contact. 
Um, so it, it's certainly something the industry is looking at. Uh, it's certainly something the industry is embracing. Uh, and this industry is actually called business process outsourcing. And it's the whole industry is singularly focused on making more efficient business processes. Uh, and that includes automation. It includes um, you know, machine learning, AI, and things like that. But um, it's certainly not going to wipe out offshore staffing in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, you know, it, it, it's still a, a big, big industry. Yeah, I would think if it if it was to take out the industry, it would take out other industries here as well, right? I mean, it's not it wouldn't be just happening in 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 a certain area. It would happen everywhere if that was gonna if that was the situation. But I don't think I, I agree with that. I like that the humans kind of run the machines, right? At least for now. At least while people listen to this podcast, they do. Um, so what um so what other I'm trying to think of regard like I'm trying to think of like so for companies in regards to either um, automation or outsourcing, like what factors should companies consider when they're looking at the two different options? Yeah, look, um, most, most businesses, you know, are under 10 to 50 people. It's only 4% of businesses that make it to a million dollars. It's only 4% of those that make it to $10 million. When you are a small, young, new business, you need to be agile you need to be building, you need to be exploring, you need to be, uh, um, you know, testing. And those, all of those things, you know, high growth environments, um, sort of frequently changing environments are not suited to automation. Um, you know, you can spend a long, long time on automation, on building processes. And then if something changes, you have to break those all apart, rebuild them. The reality is in small businesses, you need, high caliber, agile, innovative, autonomous staff that can all individually act very sort of autonomously, uh, very quickly, very efficiently in building processes. And this is the whole, you know, Silicon Valley um, uh, lean startup methodology. There is no way, you know, even in Clubhouse that's worth a billion dollars, there can be zero automation in that because they are just changing week by week, month by month. Um, when you know, for um, Warren Buffett, if you're listening, you know, for the 50-year-old the businesses, for the businesses with 10,000 people, those, those big businesses that have maybe 100 people in a room doing the same process, and they've been doing that exact same process for five years, then automate the hell out of that. You know, you, it, it's a stable, high repetition um, process, and that can be automated for Smaller businesses, for high growth, for high change businesses, you need um, very competent, very capable staff, a very flat structure, very autonomous staff um, that can work not as your sort of simple little underling, but that can work beside you uh, and add value to the organization and help you go on those sprints and build the organization. Once it's stabilized, then yeah, look, you know, and look, every business always needs to look for efficiencies. You don't want to be inefficient with your processes, um, but it, it's kind of a balance. And also, you know, you don't need to do that for your, for your underlings. You get your high caliber team and then all of them are building in efficiencies and optimizations and things like that. Uh, it, it's kind of a group um, process. Yeah, no, I see that. I, I hear it. And obviously we, we understand that, or at least my company does. What would be, in your opinion, obviously being the expert here, um, how will automation impact outsourcing in the future, do you think? Like what, because I'm, I'm, we touched on it maybe a little bit, but I want to kind of maybe dive a little deeper into that. Yeah, look, I, you know, if there is this super AI in about 50 years, it's going to change everything. You know, in theory, you know, cancer will be solved. Uh, gravity won't be an issue anymore. Flying to Mars will do it every day. You know, it will solve every single issue under the sun. Basic uh, automation, though, you know, we have huge numbers of staff in the Philippines that are doing the um, uh, autonomous vehicle AI. Um, it's called, you know, annotation, uh, AI annotation. And literally tens of thousands of staff here in the Philippines are sitting on computers with images in front of them in front of them and identifying an image of a street you know this is a lamppost this is a car this is a 
a dog. Um, and uh, it is still humans behind all of that. Will it learn eventually? Maybe. But the AI and automation at the high end is still so, so basic. Um, you would not believe, you know, and, and a more sort of consumer sort of aspect of that is chatbots. You know, we all remember the sort of chatbot um, sort of phase about three years ago. And it was very limited, you know, because it's not AI you're talking to. It's almost like, a, you know, when you used to phone your bank and it's like press number one, if you want to talk to accounts and number two, if you want to talk to sales, chatbots were no more advanced than that. Um, but it was just in a different format and everyone got a little bit excited, but there is no, no intelligence behind these things. Um, but, you know, the industry, there is incredible advancement. You know, we work uh, with a Silicon Valley uh, startup that is neutralizing accents. We work with another startup that is adding sort of AI into chat interfaces so that you can tell um, the, the sort of engagement levels, the, the interest, the heat, the, and you know, the sort of structure of the conversations you're having with people. So there are, there are incredibly valuable tools coming through, you know, and even like Otter AI, um, which transcribes conversations as you have them, all of these are incredibly valuable tools and make all of the processes um, more streamlined. But the reality is as well, you know, um, all of the tools you have in the US uh, the Filipinos are growing up with and have exactly the same as well. So um, they're starting from, you know, we're all using the same tools and all of those things, the high caliber people and the tools uh, and people that know how to use those tools can all work towards building you a better business. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like it's as AI gets smarter, but so will the people get smarter, right? And I think if those things can, they're working, they can work side by side, right? And the whole, the whole goal is to better your processes look at your efficiencies and see what you can do. And software has played an, an intricate role in that and in, in helping humans make better decisions and be able to do bigger things. So I, I also don't think it's going to, you know, I mean, we'll be 50, hundred years away from, I think anything major happening where it would take anything out, but I do think it's going to be interesting in the fact that it can working side by side with people um, obviously just makes things more efficient. And it is so you know, another, another example as well is things are always changing. You know, the, the, the land underneath us is always changing. We're working with a multi-billion dollar US client at the moment. Uh, and they have an accounts issue. They've just changed ERP. Um, and they have thousands of invoices outstanding. Now, this is a, a company that's, you know, decades old, very sophisticated, super successful, high value company. But this thing has cropped up. And it needs solving, you know, and, and it takes staff and a good process and a good team that helps architect that solution to sort that out, you know. And these things will be occurring all the time. Um, and even from 100 years from now, you know, there's going to be, oh, my God, uh, we've stuffed up the invoicing. We need to go back and through and do that. Um, so it's amazing. You know, even, even after we've been going 2,000 years in business, and we're still stuck on the invoicing problem, you know? <laughs> right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what would be um, any advice you have for companies that are not sure whether to, to outsource or whether they should automate? What is, what's your, what's your intel behind that? Uh, do, do both, do both, you know, um, and get your offshore team to automate, um, you know, and yeah. get your offshore team to build those processes. Uh, automation is super valuable um, but it can also lead you down sort of erroneous paths. Um, so definitely do both. Look, you want to have an efficient business with efficient processes. So eradicate all waste. Um, and that's whether people are doing it or computers or anything like that. Um, and, you know, that is, that is always forefront of mind. Um, but then also, you know, with business with growth, 50% of it is actually testing and exploring and doing tests that don't work out. And that is inherently inefficient, you know? So um, I think we can only get so far down the path of efficiency before, before, you know, you just kind of shut everything down kind of thing. So but yeah. short answer, do, do both. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. Right. Cause that they can work side by side. I think they're probably best hand working hand in hand on things. 
So cool. This is, this is, I call this the fun section. And I, I say this on every podcast. I would like to think this was even fun before this section, but you know, it's, it's up for, for it's I'm all excited. debatable, all I'm, debatable. I'm even more excited now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I knew you were excited. Now we're next level excitement. This is, this is the kind of stuff we bring on the podcast. It's nothing but heat. Um, but if there was one place, and I'm, I'm especially interested to hear your, your opinion on this, or at least where you would go because you've been, you're so well-traveled. Where's one place in the world that you, if you could get there for free, that you would travel to and why? And be, there'd be no COVID, by the way, just so you know, you can actually yeah, just, you can frolic. Problem now, isn't it? Uh, Bhutan, actually, Bhutan, but it's a, it's a small sort of state uh, and has previously sort of been locked up and very few foreigners allowed in. Uh, it is now open, um, but of course, that's more complicated with uh, COVID. Um, but I'm actually trying to, to get over there. Um, and it's just a fantastic kind of mystical country full of sort of monks that are like endlessly pleased with their lives and just down to earth uh, and incredible sort of geography and scenery. So that's definitely top on my list once we can start traveling again. Nice, nice. nice. You know, I've heard of it. You know, it's so funny. I've, I actually had another guest that told me that was the city that were the country they would want to go to. So I was kind of like, Oh, interesting. I, I mean, who knew I've heard of it, but I don't know. I mean, let's see, my geography is pretty bad anyways, but um, I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out for sure. It sounds like it's, yeah, uh, well, you know, I'm actually Googling it now cause I know very little about it, but it's, um, it's a Buddhist kingdom in the Himalayas. Do you need to know any more than that? How no, cool is that? That sounds sinful already. Like that's, and it's a very, it's a very small population and, and they're all, they're almost sort of communist, um, but kind of highly educated, happy yeah. population. Happy. Heard about those places. That's awesome. So how about this? I've got, what would, what would your superpower be if you could have one superpower? And I know you don't make it strength or something. Cause I know you work out and stuff. Give me something, give me something good. What would be your superpower? You're already partly Superman. So give me something, oh give me gosh. something better. Well, maybe, uh, I don't know. Can you, can you, can you go intelligence? Can I have uh, yeah, super intelligence? Yeah, why not? Of course. Let's do I mean, that. And then I can build all the AI and uh, ah, take over. There the AI. we go. There we go. And then you can tank it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. I like that. Good intelligence. That's, that's awesome. So what about any, are there any like favorite books or podcasts that you've listened to that have either shaped your career or your personality? Is there anything that you've, that you're like, man, this book, I mean, you talk about Tim Ferriss. I think he changed not single-handedly, but I know he definitely changed the the virtual assistant and kind of like the the, the likelihood of people hiring one or at least you know enlightening them. Um, what would be? Is there any podcast book? What what's, what do we got? Yeah, you know, books. I, I read a lot. I, I listen to to them all. Um, and Chris Voss's uh, Never Split the Difference is is a very good recent one. Um, Yuval Harari Noah Yuval Harari is is fantastic with his which is uh, uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus. Uh, and Jordan Peterson with 12 Rules of Life and his, his second one, 12 More Rules of Life. Um, they're all incredible books. Um, you know, Sapiens and, and Homo Deus are, is incredible. And it talks exactly about what we've spoken about today with um, robots taking over the world and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I listen to a huge amount of podcasts. I probably listen to far too many podcasts for my own good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, get, get incredible sort of insight from those as well. Yeah. Lots of information. I, I love, you know, so funny. I, I, this podcast and I, for the longest time, didn't listen to a lot of podcasts. Cause you know, the thing for me is I love the information, but I, I want to write it down. And then I'm like, Oh, and then I would stop it. And then I like listen to 80 podcasts and I'd be halfway through. Cause there's some knowledge and things that I needed to write down. They finally said, you know what, I'm just going to just, just soak it in, you know? And if I pick up a few things here and there, that's awesome. I don't need to write everything down and go and look it up and do this. And so I, you know, cause I'm, I'm very much an audible type person. Like when it comes to books, if I go to sit down and read a book, um, I'm thinking about what I need to do. You know, I'm always in fifth and sixth gear. I'm not like, it's hard for me to just disconnect. I actually listen to audible books on my, in my car. Like I'll drive somewhere just to listen to my audible book. Yeah. Like my son and I went to Southern California and we lit, listened to an audible book there and an audible back. So anyways, that's for me, that way I can kind of focus. I'm just driving. I don't need to think about too much, too many other things and just listen to it. But, it's great, isn't it? When I when I took up, you know, listening to podcasts, I thought I was super sophisticated and all that. But now I think kind of maybe, you know, my mum listens to talk bank radio and that's been happening for 60 years. And maybe this is just kind of the old person's talk bank radio, you know? It's, yeah, uh, it's crazy absolutely. Yeah. Repeat. 
Absolutely. Well, Derek, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I absolutely appreciate you being a part of this. Um, and thank you so much for talking about the company and kind of what you guys have created and what you guys have built. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out to you and get more information on the company, where can they get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited about offshore staffing, outsourcing, and people should just give it a go. Um, we uh, come to outsourceaccelerator.com. You can get three free quotes, uh, look around 750 suppliers, and also reach out to me, have a chat, and also in the quote, you know, say that Shane sent you, uh, and we'll give you special care and attention. You can email me, which is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, outsourceaccelerator.com. That was me being interviewed on Shane Barker's podcast, which is the Marketing Growth Podcast. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.